Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm speaking to Ariana Rodriguez, who is a dietitian, certified intuitive eating counsellor, yoga teacher and NLP practitioner. Ariana trained as a dietitian in Montreal, Canada and later moved to London, where with Cassie Barnard, she founded Embody Health London, where they have a team of experts working in eating disorders and body image. Their mission is to help women heal their relationship with food and their body and live a life of diet freedom. They are supportive of an anti-diet approach and intuitive eating principles. Ultimately, they want to help you heal your relationship with food and live a life you love. You may have seen Ariana and Cassie on TikTok or Instagram reels where they're uplifting dance routines, spreading messages of body acceptance and a healthy relationship with food. They have such a positive energy, which is infectious. And I love the way that they combine a fun element, but clearly are absolute professionals with a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Outside of Ariana's nutrition and yoga therapy work, you can find her traveling around the globe, outside the pandemic, I'm guessing, dancing and singing in the kitchen, spending time in the outdoors, meditating and connecting with friends and family. She is a self-proclaimed wannabe chef, amateur photographer, and loves to stick her nose into a juicy book. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Ariana today. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Ariana. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Good morning. Hello, Harriet. So great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ariana, because I know we've been trying to sort of speak for a while, haven't we? And just <laughs> busy schedules and everything else. You know, I'm so glad you're here today. Yes, we made it work. We made it work finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Ariana, could you introduce yourself, please, first to the listeners? Of course. Well, hello, everyone. So I am Ariana Rodriguez. I am a registered dietitian and co-founder of Embody Health London, which is an eating disorder and body image specialist nutrition clinic based in London, of course, as in the name. I'm originally from Canada. So as you may hear from my accent, I'm not I'm not a British, you know, you know, originally from Britain and from the UK, but I, tr- I came here about over three years ago and settled and don't see myself leaving anytime soon, <laughs> where I actually met my co-founder, Cassie, and we decided to embark on this mission together to make eating disorder support more accessible, more available, as well as incorporate the often missing piece which is intuitive eating at the very you know the end of recovery and often throughout okay well thank you so much for you know telling us more about you and I just want to say straight away actually is I just love the vibe of Embody Health London Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think you and Cassie you both come across as just so full of energy and warm and I love your dances and you know, I think if I was looking for eating disorder treatment, I would be very drawn to working with you guys. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that, Harriet, because that, 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 that's our aim. It can be quite scary and intimidating and overwhelming to seek support. It is not an easy thing to do. It takes a lot of courage. 
And there's often this misconception about the role of dietitians in eating disorder support, right? It's this sense of, you know, they're going to tell me they're going to force feed me. It's going to be really negative. It's going to, you know, exacerbate my relationship with food. And there's often this, it's like this demonizing approach that, or, or a sense, which is often what we hear from clients and, and their past experiences. So we're trying to move away from that and really make it, you know, something that is, you know, more positive, something that brings joy into your life, that is something to look forward to, satis- you know, bring satisfaction and pleasure back in. So, so I'm glad that that kind of seeps through and that you get that sense as well. <laughs> that <is the> <laughs> <ultimate> <laughs> mission. <laughs> oh, and it's really good to hear about your approach and the, you know, I guess the way that you have really thought about how you are presenting yourselves to people and to kind of, you know, feel, you know, creating this kind of environment in a way where they're going to feel hopefully safe and they can open up and that it's not something really scary and terrifying but absolutely yeah so so good to hear so Ariana could you tell us a bit more about sort of your journey into working in this whole area yes absolutely so it's a bit of a journey it's never a linear path is it but (laughs) it isn't (laughs) which is great it kind of keeps it exciting the adventure going but ultimately I guess how I got firstly if we back up and go into think how I got to nutrition and this field of dietetics at first, you know, I was a competitive dancer for much of my, my childhood into my adolescence up until I was 18 years old. I started dancing from the age of four in ballet, which was a big part of my life. You know, I would dedicate about 20 hours a week nearly. And thinking back, I actually reflect sometimes on thinking, how did I do that? <laughs> how did I manage my time so well? But anyway, so I was, I dedicated much of my time in dance, which is where I really learned the impact of nutrition and how it actually can help you with performance, with optimizing, you know, how you feel when you dance and, you know, your mind as well, your memory and all of that. So that's really where I started to kind of pair two and two together. And then throughout my high school, my mom actually was diagnosed with breast cancer. So that was a really tough time in my life where I actually started thinking about my body differently, about how actually we're not invincible. You know, there's, there is vulnerability there. There is, you know, we have to take care of ourselves, of our health. And, you know, down the line, looking back, with my kind of dietetic hat on, it actually did turn into perhaps more orthorectic tendencies, which, you know, was quite, quite extreme in the sense that everything had to be organic when, when I was, you know, in my early teens, because of course I didn't want to have, you know, it was all about this preventing cancer and this ultimate fear that was driving the, my food choices, right? Everything had to be organic, local, fresh, not frozen, or all of these things, little rules I kind of added up and I started reading more and it ended up kind of feeding into that black and white thinking. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I, I, you can probably relate, right? This is one of those <laughs> things that we, it's so easy to just take on these you know, this evidence-based knowledge and make it black and white and just adopt it as the ultimate truth and absolute truth under any circumstance. So that's where I kind of fell into, you know, I did have a love for nutrition. And then that led me to study the health sciences in my undergrad, which was kind of a biomedical study. So it was really more of like a pre-med program where I got a taste of all different types of factors that influence our health which opened my eyes in the sense that actually it's not just about nutrition. There are so many other facets to health, whether it be Mm. occupational health, environmental health, you know, social health, all of these factors that actually started 
seeping into my my kind of you know my day-to-day thinking about actually it's not just about the food what if I tone it down a little bit <laughs> you know? mm. so so I was really grateful for it for that degree it was quite broad but it gave me a really nice foundation and I still had a, a passion for nutrition so then I decided to do my master's in dietetics which is where I actually got my credentials and you know, lo and behold, in the dietetics field, it's still often the case today. You know, I do speak to quite a lot of students in, in studying now in the present moment. And there is still a sense of using nutrition to, you know, in a, in a way that may not always be constructive. It's very rigid. You know, it's, you know, there are many rules in, in the field, such as, you know, whether you're following a blood pressure diet, you know, like the DASH diet or something for heart related to heart disease prevention or diabetes. And there are a lot of rules around that. So of course we're trained as such, but there was still something that didn't really sit quite right with me. I kind of didn't, you know, there, there had to be more. It's not just, again, about nutrition. Mm. It has to be more. You know, what about, you know, what we do in our day-to-day, how we manage stress? What about our sleep? We are such complex beings. So this has always been underlying, you know, a big interest of mine is seeing humans as a whole. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my undergrad, because I was so stressed. I, I was, I'm a high achiever, perfectionist qualities mm-hmm. over here. <laughs> you know, lots of tendencies in that area. Mm-hmm. And so of course I let go of dance at that time. And I so- solely focused on my studies, but that was soon, I found it to be, it was just too overwhelming. So I ended up taking up yoga, which is a big part of the approach I actually take today. And it's very much marrying mind and body. And that's where I kind of got a real deep sense of embodiment and how it makes you feel and how important it is to well-being overall. Mm-hmm. So down the line, this is all happening kind of as a personal journey for me at first. And when I completed my master's, I actually got a job in a diabetes clinic. So I ended up taking it, of course, as a new graduate. You think, oh, great, I have something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so I ended up working there for about a month, but I actually had to follow my intuition and I moved to London (laughs) soon Mm. after graduating. (laughs) It was a very exciting time because I actually always had my eye on London. I did travel quite a bit. And as soon as I set foot in London, you know, in 2011, I knew I had to live here. It was just this sense. So anyways, (laughs) fast forward after I graduated, I moved to London and that's where I had to wait for my credentials to, you know, transfer over from Canada to the UK. And in this during this time, I actually did a bit of corporate wellness and all that to say, I waited, I finally got my credentials. And the first job I ended up getting was actually in a weight loss clinic, believe it or not. <laughs> so <laughs> this was, this was an interesting time. And actually I'm a blessing in disguise. I always like to say it was a very important time because I actually wasn't a private practice. This meant that I got to definitely improve my skills as a counselor but it's also where I met Cassie my co-founder so very important you know part yeah. of the <laughs> <laughs> but really this is where the seed was planted for me that weight loss and or weight management anything that is weight centric actually is going to be counterintuitive and move us away from that mind-body connection which I hold very dearly Mm. So I did end up working there for about 18 months. Cassie was there for two years. So we kind of overlapped for quite a bit. But near the end, it really ended up getting to a point where 
what the brand was promoting did not align with my core values anymore. And during my time there, it actually gave me a really great opportunity because there was such a great work-life balance that I got to do a lot of continuing education. And I chose to study intuitive eating with Evelyn Tribuli herself, mm. who's the founder of Intuitive Eating, one of the two founders. So I ended up doing that. And as soon as I got those credentials, I ended up saying, nope, can't be in this environment anymore. Just doesn't go well. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of the, you know, the journey into seeing the impact that weight loss of, you know, promotion gets to. I actually saw a lot of clients that ended up having a history of eating disorders who had, you know, very disordered eating patterns. Even if they thought they wanted to do lifestyle changes, I want to change my habits and all that kind of stuff. Those messaging, those messages that they received, you know, if weight was at the forefront, it still, it didn't work. And so mm. I knew I had to kind of change the messaging and I couldn't be in a company that promoted that first and foremost. Mm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a bit mm -hmm. of a long story, isn't it? But it, you know, all of these pieces together are what convinced me so much and make me so passionate about the work that I do every single day. And, you know, on the side, because I do have a, a dear friend of mine who's been working in eating disorders for about 10 years, she's a mentor of mine and a supervisor. I was doing actually private consultations on the side with her. And that's where I got to really hit the ground running with, with eating disorder clients, those living with anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating. And then from there, I ended up working in CAMS, in a CAMS unit, and I was a lead dietitian okay. for, for a, an inpatient unit whilst mm -hmm. I was founding Embody Health London. And then Embody Health London picked up, and then here we go. The rest is history. <laughs> now we're yeah. full-time. Full yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you for sharing your story. And I just think so many elements there that I can just see have been incredibly valuable to lead you to the point where you are today. And I think, you know, from being a dancer and just having perhaps that strong connection with your body and understanding of the benefits of nutrition from early on through the sort of, you know, that very stressful period with your mom and, you know, experiencing, I guess, the orthorexia yourself. So having a real understanding and empathy with your clients. And it sounds like the kind of weight loss clinic was it really offered you the contrast, I guess, to get very clear <laughs> on your values, didn't it? That's so right. you really, yeah. So you knew really very clearly the direction you wanted to go in. Exactly, exactly. And that's it. I know, you know, it had to affirm everything I knew to be ready for this, this journey and this kind of pivot, which is, you know, such a, such a pleasure and a privilege to be able to do this work. Mm. And you said you'd always wanted to come to London or you had this idea, yeah. did you, of coming to London? Was that from quite young? <laughs> yes. So I actually, I have family in Paris. So I used to visit quite a lot. And on one of those occasions, I ended up just taking the Eurostar when it was nice and easy back then. I would just <laughs> hop on the Eurostar and come to London. And it was just this, this feeling, this sense of, oh, there's something about this city. I need to be here. So of course, mm. after graduating, I had that freedom to, to make that choice. Yeah, no, sure. No, wonderful. And I, I think, Ariana, what sounds really fantastic about you is the way that you've been able to trust your intuition, probably from quite young, you know, from like knowing even pre all of, you know, coming to the UK, having a real sense that that's something you really wanted to do. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right, Harriet. I've always followed my intuition. It was something that 
was promoted, you know, luckily, I'm very, we're fortunate. That was something my, my parents always encouraged me to do. So yes, I have a real sense of it, of that kind of compass, that inner compass, and I, I tend to follow it. Mm. Well, it's wonderful to hear because I think as well that's something that so many people experience eating disorders have really lost that inner compass, haven't they? Um, Indeed, absolutely. It could be really difficult to even know what the body is saying if we're so afraid of it or we, we associate pain with it and we don't want to be in it, in a sense. Uh, no, so very true. So, Ariana, when you met Cassie, did you realize early on that she was going to be someone that you might work with or was it something that kind of grew over time (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny because actually we instantly clicked so Cassie and I from you know she's from Australia I'm from Canada we met halfway we have both very very similar life paths before coming to London which we just were able to click in so many ways we spent a lot of time outside of work hours and developed a really beautiful and deep friendship and so did it cross my mind early on no I knew she was someone special in my life that would remain a friend a dear friend but I didn't think at the time that she'd be a business partner. Both of us didn't, actually. It was only till the near end, the last couple of months in the clinic, that we ended up just, you know, having a lot of similar ideas and thoughts and feelings about the work we were doing. And mm-hmm. we both wanted to start our own companies and our own clinics. That was a, both of our dreams, you know, separately before even moving to London. And so we thought, well, hey, you know, why don't we get together? and perhaps think about how we could do this you know we're both very similar in terms of our passion or we're very outgoing and we thought actually we can we can do something with this <laughs> mm. let's put this to, put our heads together and see what we come up with and at first it was very much a passion project we wanted to just see okay let's see where it takes us let's do this for about a year and see and if it doesn't then that's okay at least we tried but here we are it's you know it definitely picked up and we couldn't be happier Oh, well, it's wonderful to hear. I just think I just think there's something very special, isn't there, about when we really connect with someone else in that way. And I think just so wonderful you've been able to actually take that into a business as well. So you've almost got the friendship and the business, which is like a double whammy, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And it's always <laughs> important because it can be tricky, can't it? Yes. We often get the question like, how has your relationship changed? And Ultimately, our connection is based on trust and on respect. And we have so much respect for each other's strengths and our weaknesses. And we kind of complement each other so, so beautifully that it just, it works. Yeah, sure. And that's wonderful to hear. So could you tell us, Ariana, a bit more about when people come to you at Embody Health, what might a sort of typical client journey look like if there's such a thing? Yeah, (laughs) yes. The way I like to think about it is that we have two kind of groups of individuals who who would come to us. So on the one hand, we have those who have a rich history in in chronic dieting who are ready to move away from that. So they have a more a disordered relationship with food. They have, you know, they've kind of grappled onto a few food rules throughout their life. Perhaps they're concerned about their weight and they're ready to just make more you know space in their lovely minds and feel free and be able to engage in social occasions without having to think about what to eat what not to eat and all of that or prepare before and after in order to do so so that would be one bracket of clients we often see 
And on the other hand, we have those who are living with an eating disorder. And so that can be anywhere from anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, or binge eating disorder, or, you know, eating disorders otherwise specified. So, mm-hmm. and anywhere on that spectrum, really, because of course, we can't always put everyone in, in specific buckets, mm-hmm. but yeah. really, it is on that spectrum. So we have two kind of groups of people. So some of them you know, let's say if we think about the chronic dieters, we may work individually with them, or we may actually have them in our group program, which is, is absolutely wonderful and very much community based. So it's very much connecting with others, because it can be quite isolating when we think, oh, it's just me. It's just my body, that's not great. Or, you know, and you kind of build that negative relationship with the body. So we offer both group and individual programs for that population. And then, of course, those with an eating disorder will work individually with one of our dietitians. So to answer your question in terms of what a journey would look like, we always start with at least 12 weeks, you know, a program that is at least 12 weeks long. And the reason we do that is that is actually based on the NICE guidelines. So that is based on the evidence, what we know supports, you know, more sustainable change. If we think about an entire lifetime or years of thinking a certain way about our bodies, about food, about how we interact with the world, it takes time to dismantle that and to kind of really peel back the layers to move away from that and change our cognitions and the way we feel. So we say 12 weeks is the minimum. And some people, 12 weeks will be absolutely adequate. That's typically for the chronic dieters kind of population, those who have a disordered relationship with food. And then those who have an active eating disorder will often require more support. So we start with 12 weeks, we see how we go. And then we kind of continue, you know, as and when needed. Mm. Everyone's journey is so, so unique. So it's not a clear cut answer. Um, But that's the beautiful thing, right? Is that you get to work with so many wonderful, unique individuals and see kind of what they need specifically based on their history and what story they're bringing to the table. Mm. Yeah, no, sure. No, well, thank you for sharing that. It's really, really interesting. And yeah, I think I like the way that you really sort of differentiate between maybe more that sort of chronic dieters, disordered eaters versus perhaps people that are really struggling with clinical eating disorder. And that you have almost the sort of flexibility, I guess, to yeah, meet different individuals' needs. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, it's always so unique. And <laughs> we do work quite closely. I actually would like to add, we work quite lo- closely with other health professionals as well. So, of course, we are dietitians and specialists in this area. However, as a therapist, Harriet, you know, we <laughs> yeah. do work very closely with it, of course, <laughs> because you are absolutely key to the recovery process. So we do we do work quite closely with therapists, psychiatrists, other health professionals as needed, sometimes pelvic floor specialists, sometimes gastroenterologists. So it really depends on yeah. what a client presents with. But ultimately, we do make sure the client is at the center And that we think about, okay, what's difficult for you? You know, what rules are you presenting with? Where does your story come from? And then we can kind of untangle it that way. Mm, Sure. And have you seen a sort of increase in your sort of inquiries and people sort of needing support during the pandemic? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know there's, there was a statistic out there from Beat UK, wasn't it? That there was 300% increase in inquiries on beat services. We actually get quite quite a bit of inquiries through the beat portal, but nonetheless, even through socials, our social media, our DMs have been filled and so many people requesting, you know, 
tailored advice through a DM. And, you know, of course, we can't do that. We can't provide that. But equally, inquiries in general, we, we, we have various calls every single week of people are struggling, right? And I, I think the pandemic and the, being socially isolated, being more on your phones, being perhaps mm-hmm. at home with anyone who may, you know, exacerbate the some, you know, your disordered eating kind of behaviors. So many different factors there put put us at risk of of getting into that that cycle and and being caught. It's really really difficult. Even individuals who had previously kind of gone through, you know, recovery have perhaps relapsed or at least catching themselves early on and inquiring before they kind of fall down that spiral again. Mm. And have you seen in terms of kind of the types of presentation, have you seen sort of an increase in all the eating disorders and disordered eating? Or have you seen sort of particular presentations more often? Mm. Yes, great question. The majority of our inquiries, so we have, most of them will either be restrictive type eating disorders, such as anorexia, many of them, and we get a lot of referrals from specialists specifically for anorexia nervosa. And then equally, we have a lot of individuals presenting with what seems, even if it's not diagnosed, it it is absolutely worthy of seeking support. So binge eating and bulimia behaviors, really, I think across the board, we're seeing the spectrum more bulimia than we used to get. I will be honest. So that is something that we're hearing a lot more mm-hmm. and something that we're working with our clients to support them to move away from that, of course. Yeah, no, sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the pandemic has just been so hard, hasn't it? All the reasons that you've just stated. Exactly. But, um, and what about you, Harriet? I'm actually curious. Have you seen a, a trend at all or is it kind of across the board as well or... Yes. I mean, yeah, I think across the board, I mean, I work four days a week for an NHS eating disorder service. And yeah, definitely like our waiting list was longer than I think than it's ever been for several years. Yeah. I mean, I think we're starting to catch up a little bit now, but it's particularly doing more kind of group support with sort of mantra and things like that. But yeah, yeah, it's it's Mm -hmm. been yeah really challenging time, hasn't it? For so many people with their mental well-being. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Ariana, obviously like you're a real specialist in intuitive eating and really sort of promote that and not a kind of weight focused kind of model when you're working with your clients. What do you see as some of the common barriers for people when they perhaps try to do intuitive eating, but they haven't been able to kind of follow through on it? Yes, yes. Fantastic question. So one of the common barriers, I think there are the three main ones that I can definitely think, think off the top of my head. One of them, the first one is this sense that there is a, a common misconception that intuitive eating is the hungerfulness diet, right? It's the sense mm. of if I'm hungry, I eat. If I'm full, I stop. And that's it. That's intuitive eating. When in essence, it's really not. It's going to be a lot more than that. And of course, we wouldn't want to put intuitive eating into the diet category as it's very much you know, the opposite, really. Intuitive eating, I'll kind of just define it in a way to help us understand what those barriers can be. So, of course, it's a self-care eating framework that really combines mm-hmm. instinct, emotion and thought in the process. So it's not only thinking about our physical health, it's also thinking about mental health and emotional well-being. And so by being able to honor all aspects of health, we're able to actually come back to that, that intuition, right? That sense of that inner compass being recalibrated, shall I say. 
Now, one of the barriers is assuming that it's only those two factors, which is the hunger, the fullness, when there are actually 10 principles to intuitive eating. So, and one of the main ones actually being respecting your body, mm-hmm. which is one of the, I think, one of my favorites in the sense that it's almost a really important starting point is being able to come back to the body and, you know, to latch onto that hunger and fullness and assuming it's just that many individuals actually are completely, you know, are detached or dissociated from their body are not embodied in order to be able to tap into their hunger and fullness cues in the first place. So that could be, you know, related to perhaps dieting for for most of our lives if we're totally externally referenced so if we've been dieting on and off listening to rules or the time of the day to kind of guide our eating when and when we stop eating then actually this may make it so it's very difficult for us to understand what our body actually needs and when and how much Mm. so that's part of it is the chronic dieting another one is if we're very very busy if we're living a very chaotic and hectic life which you know some some of us are it's the reality but it can be very easy to forget to check in with our bodies with ourselves Mm. and so you know it's this common scenario that I often hear clients saying which is my gosh, I've been in meetings all day and I got to the end of the day and I'm starving and I didn't realize how hungry I was throughout the day, right? So it's this Mm. sense of being able to come back to our body periodically throughout the day to really, again, respect it, ask it. You're living in your body. You know, it's, it's a vehicle for you to experience life. And so it's coming back to it. And then, of course, another common reason may be if we, if we are living with an eating disorder, Right. So Mm. I've had many clients present with an active eating disorder who tell me I've tried intuitive eating and I just don't know. I can't trust myself. And it's all of this. You know, it's a lot of it's quite anxiety provoking. And Mm. understandably, when we live with an eating disorder, it's, you know, oftentimes we are disembodied, which means we are disconnected from our body, our mind body connection is distorted. And so we have to work first to reestablish that connection before actually moving on to thinking about, am I actually hungry or am I full? And then Mm. as well, depending on the type of eating disorder, if we are under our set point weight, undernourished, then Mm. we actually cannot trust our fullness cues, right? Mm. We'll always trust our hunger when we're undernourished and continue to honor that. But our fullness is totally distorted based on biology and what, what, what that means. So I think that would be a really important barrier thinking about it is beyond just listening to your body in terms of hunger fullness. It is thinking about actually, how do I respect my body? Can mm. I think of nourishment as self-care as well? Mm. And how do I move my body right as well? So it's not just about the food kind of the common theme from today is it's not just about food is how do Mm. I move my body? Do I enjoy moving my body? What feels good for my body? Am I Mm. actually exercising because I want to, or because I'm, you know, it's, it's a form of punishment or, you know, so, so it's thinking about your body as a vehicle and respecting that altogether. And I think that's going to be the most important part of the process and then we can kind of latch on top of that the rest of the principles mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I think that's yeah. A really important. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's just really so helpful actually I think really wonderfully explained because I think so many people do sort of dip their toe into the water don't they with intuitive eating but you know like for all the reasons you just said there it's very very challenging to do that when you are so disconnected from your body or living you know with an eating disorder if you're constantly busy mm-hmm. I think the busy thing as well I think that's just something I think as well that's just so common isn't it in our culture that people just are often you know generalizing here but can just so it's such a common thing to, that someone is quite out of touch with their body and that they're kind mm-hmm. of on this sort of hamster wheel this kind of treadmill yes. moving really fast and yeah just not sort of stopping and tuning in and being aware or you know and so and yeah so out of touch of listening to those kind of cues Absolutely, absolutely. It's easy to get there, and right, and it's it's oh, yeah. rebuilding <laughs> the sense of, and it's so easy. And now, today's day and age, we're constantly connected to the outer world. We're right. We're there's social media, there's technology, left, right, and center. Things making our lives easier, absolutely, and equally, mm. you know, all of these these gadgets and all of these things around us are lending to us relying on everything else. And then we kind of forget to kind of ask ourselves, actually, what do I need? I still need to function too. <laughs> you know? I need to, to kind of be here in the present moment. What does my body need? So we have to still come back to the self, to the our physical bodies that house our ourselves, really. And actually thinking back as well, and that a common barrier is this, this fear of this fear of overeating is a big one. So one of the common things that we can actually fall into the trap of, of doing is actually creating pseudo rules, which means there are some contingencies around our eating behavior, right? Just for just to stay on the safe side, right? Because of course we want to give ourselves permission, but just in case I'm going to make sure I set a rule on the portion of the food or the time of the day or the week. Sometimes it's, you know, a common one is I can eat donuts, but only on the weekend. Or mm. only if I go out with my friends, right? And there's that sense of, you know, I'm allowed to have it, but, right? Whereas intuitive yeah. eating, we want to make sure that actually it's, I'm allowed to have it, period, right? If I want it, I can have it. And if you adopt that mentality, the odds are you're going to actually probably have it less because you've neutralized it. You're not having it because there is this sense of rebelling, like, oh, well, I can't have it. I need to prove it to myself, right? It's the sense of, oh, if I fancy it, I know I can have it. If not, no big deal. Yeah. Yeah, no, so true, isn't it? And I think those rules sometimes, aren't they, are just so subtle that, you know, maybe sometimes without talking about them with someone, you may not even realize that you still have some of those rules. They can be kind of, they can kind of creep in, can't they? In quite a devious way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It's great to kind of take inventory just so you can take stock whenever they pop into your head, you know, Mm. for anyone listening and, and make note of them because then that's when you can actually actively challenge them. Yeah, no, very true. And would you say to your clients as well that you know, because I guess when you're trying to find that intuitive eating place, it is a bit of a messy, imperfect road, isn't it? <laughs> of, you can't just like kind of jump to being in tune with your body. It's going to take a bit sometimes of, of accidental undereating, accidental overeating, and, you know, recalibrating, retuning in, sort of learning yeah. again and again. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's never a linear process. And, you know, sometimes I still get caught myself 
where I mm-hmm. waited too long because I had too many, too, you know, back to back clients and I forgot to put a little tea break. And I think, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. And we're human and we have to remember that. Again, this is why it's not a diet, it's a practice. And so yeah. it's an ongoing practice. It's, it's once you start on the journey, you keep going and there will be imperfect days. Like you said, I love that you said that. It's imperfect. It's, it's yeah. just an ongoing reconnection and coming back to the present moment as much as you can. Yeah, no, thank you. I really appreciate you just sort of going through some of the nuances there, Ariana. It's really, really helpful. My pleasure. So, something else I wanted to ask you about as well was obviously you're a neuro linguistic programming practitioner. Mm. Could you just say, I know again, massive topic, but could you just kind of introduce us just a little bit to that and maybe sort of give an example of how you might use some of those NLP skills in your work? Absolutely. Yes. So NLP, yes. So, so thank you for, for pronouncing that because sometimes I just sit, keep it as an L and NLP. It is quite a wordy. So I have an NLP diploma, both Cassie and I do actually. And what that, what that really allows us to do. So of course it, it, it combines neurology, language, so the linguistics and the programming in terms of how, how to, they, they all go together in terms of how we create our beliefs our belief system, how we map the world based on our past experiences, and how our values also, our core values and our belief systems really determine our sense of self and our behaviors and the behaviors we engage in in the outer world. So it's very helpful. It's really transformed my practice. And I know Cassie would definitely second that. Sometimes we reflect and think, what in the world were we doing before then? But anyway, (laughs) so aside, but really it allows us to really, I like to think of us humans right we're kind of we're onions and (laughs) we're like we're onions (laughs) and you can (laughs) peel back the layers and ultimately we're quite complex and we have multiple layers that determine how we interact with the outer world and so if we NLP allows us to dissect and peel back the layers to get to the core of why we engage in certain behaviors why we do certain things how we think about certain behaviors, how we interpret information, right? So for some people, they may be more auditory. For Mm -hmm. others, they may be more visual. Others are more, use more self-talk to convince themselves, right? So by understanding different, you know, the, the spectrum of how people understand, make sense of the world around them, we can actually provide different resources or support systems to actually accommodate that that person individually. So it's very, very helpful in terms of clinical practice. And then of course, at the core of what we do is understanding people's belief systems. We always kind of go back to the very beginning from childhood and then fast forward to the present moment so we can understand how they got to where they are, understanding past experiences, and then debunking those because of course beliefs are flexible, right? Mm -hmm. They're not fact. They're just based on how we've interpreted the world, right? Based on experience, based on what we've been told, knowledge. And so in the same way that we can actually stop believing in, you know, hopefully there are no kids listening to this, into to Father Christmas <laughs> from one moment to the next, yeah. right? Yeah, that shows us that actually beliefs are flexible and they can change. And so what you believe right now about your body, about food, about the world around you can change. And that is the wonderful world of NLP that we actually use a lot of skills from that in terms of our coaching kind of method, our approach to get people to a place where actually their beliefs align with what we call your core values. 
that drive you. Yeah, no, again, well, thank you for just explaining that really succinctly. I think it's just really helpful for people to hear and understand. And I love the way, again, it's kind of linked back to our values and our beliefs. So I think that's where kind of long lasting change happens, isn't it? Like we can't just kind of fix things on a surface level. We need to kind of go deeper and to understand ourselves more and to maybe challenge some of those old stories we've been telling ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. We need, I love that. We have to challenge it. We can't take it for granted, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. (laughs) So Ariana, how do you kind of look after yourself today to kind of keep yourself in your sort of optimal state, I guess? Because it sounds like you've been pretty busy juggling lots of things. Yeah. So what are your sort of main tips, do you think, in terms of like really keeping yourself full to the brim with self-care? Gosh, yes, so, so important. I love to advocate. It is so important. So yes, in terms of my self-care, my personal self-care, of course, I, I share different tips and resources as well. But for myself, my morning routine is, I like to say it's sacred. It's very important. It's an hour I have to myself where I actually wake up early in the morning, I have my, I make my hot cup of tea. <laughs> and then that's when I actually, as my tea is cooling down, I actually meditate. So meditation is a big part of my self-care practice. It may not be for everyone. I think many people would benefit from it, but of course we all get their own ways. So I ended up developing a meditation practice from my yoga teacher training. So that was very helpful. And that's something I do daily. And then typically after my meditation practice, I will have a little wiggle. So I do a bit of yoga. That can literally be five minutes to 30 minutes. It's really just, and sometimes an hour, but it's really rare that it's an hour. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be long, but it's, it's my yoga and meditation practice are very important in the morning. And then from that, I, throughout the day, I go for walks in nature. I love going for walks. I do live near a park, which is so, so helpful, especially during the pandemic. It's helped me tremendously reconnecting and staying grounded. Mm -hmm. And then part of my self-care is making sure. So I feel like an old lady. Sometimes I go to bed quite early. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I go to bed, you know, about half 10, 11, and then I will wake up quite early. So I make sure I have a good night's sleep because actually I know that's how I function optimally. And I'm more resourceful in that state. So that's mm-hmm. a really important self-care strategy. I'd love to, sh- to advocate and share. And staying connected with my loved ones. So of course, I'm living away from home, which means I can get homesick quite a bit, especially in the last year. But of course, staying connected with my friends and family is an equally important self-care strategy. Mm. Sure. No, well, thank you for sharing those tips. And I'm definitely yeah. with you with the sleep and the early nights makes such yeah. a difference. <laughs> it does, right? It's like, oh, you don't want to mess with me if I haven't had a good sleep. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah. It's the reality, isn't it? But yes, and self-care can be, you know, nourishment as well is, is, is self-care. Hydration. My gosh, it's really warm here in London right now. And, and staying adequately hydrated is a form of self-care. So Really coming back to that body respect and taking care of yourself and knowing what makes you feel at your best. Yeah, and it's so true. And I think you're absolutely right. It's often sometimes those just kind of basic things, isn't it? Like reconnecting with your body, getting enough sleep and, you know, having walks in nature, staying connected. It doesn't necessarily have to be some kind of luxurious kind of treat. You know, that can be like nice as well. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's nice sometimes, a little bonus. But yeah, take day to day. It doesn't have to look like that. (laughs) Yeah, no, so true. 
Well, Ariana, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for sharing your expertise and, you know, telling your story and, you know, saying more about intuitive eating. I think it's just been so valuable. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Oh, thank you. And one thing I haven't asked you actually is where can people find you if they want to get in touch, find out more information about the work you and Cassie do at Embody Health London? Of course, of course. So you can find us on various social media platforms. So notably Instagram, we are Embody Health London underscore. At TikTok, we are Embody Health London LDN is how we spell London because there weren't enough character spaces. (laughs) (laughs) And then so TikTok and Instagram are where we're kind of most active. Equally, you can find us on LinkedIn and you can find us on our website, which is www.embodyhealthlondon.com. So you can, you know, if you're interested, of course, please get in touch with us. We would be so happy to hear from everyone, from your listeners. Yeah, ultimately, you can also find me at my personal account on Instagram at NutritionRE. So it's Nutrition A-R-I. Okay, lovely. Well, I'm sure lots of people will be kind of wanting to find out more or maybe sort of getting in touch with you directly. So thank you very much for that, Ariana. My pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Ariana's details and about Embody Health London in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for further support with your relationship with food, do visit my website at theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate you rating and reviewing it because it helps it reach so many more people. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm -hmm.